Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to the Fantasy Football Feeding Frenzy, our first post-NFL Draft Edition. I am your host, Gary Davenport, joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Todd Lasky. How are you this evening, sir? Very good, Gary. Uh, You know, I'm liking the fact that my twins are scrapping right behind the heels of your Cleveland Indians uh, so early in the season. They've improved a lot from last year. Given us a lot of hope here in the Twin Cities. Uh, I know it's a long season, but uh, we'll take it day by day and see what happens from there. Uh, who knows? Miracles have happened in the past. Uh, my 87 and 91 Twins will tell you that. Yeah, the Indians come out of the gate a little slow. I mean, they've had a couple of injuries. I mean, nothing major, but Jason Kipnis started the season on the DL, and he's just kind of working his way back into form. And now uh, Corey Kluber is on the disabled list, although I think they're hopeful that he'll only miss one start. So I'm hoping the Indians can win the rubber match. It's the finale of three-game series with the Toronto Blue Jays. I actually have that on the television with the volume turned down as we speak. But we are not here to talk about baseball. There are plenty of people who do that that know much more about the sport than I do, and I hear they actually play fantasy in it too for for divisions. And we are here to talk about fantasy football, the NFL draft, the madness in Philadelphia has come and gone. Now we know which rookies landed where from the number one overall pick, Miles Garrett, to the Cleveland Browns to the 253rd pick, probably the most relevant, Mister Irrelevant ever in the history of the National Football League in Ole Miss quarterback Chad Kelly to the Denver Broncos, which I have to admit I found very interesting. It's not very often you look at the Mr. Irrelevant pick and you recognize the name. Well, because the, the current uh, guy running the Broncos and John Elway uh, called another guy out of that same quarterback class, which is deemed the best ever as far as quarterback classes goes in Jim Kelly and asked about the guy from Ole Miss. And lo and behold, he decided to pick him up. I agree with you. That's a fantastic, very last pick, Mr. Irrelevant, as it were. Um, A lot of people had him as high as a first-round pick potential, but his troubles caused a drop. Uh, very suave pick by John Elway. Oh, yeah. For what you're you're risking, absolutely nothing on a kid with the potential. I mean, even if all he were to become is a career backup in the NFL, it's still phenomenal value for a seventh-round pick. And if it doesn't work out, you're not literally the last pick in the draft. No one cares if Mr. Irrelevant makes it or not. General managers do not get fired if Mr. Irrelevant doesn't pan out. General managers get fired if you're in Buffalo. <laughs> Sorry, Doug Whaley. That was me. Boom, boom. <laughs> there's another. There's a draft of another sort that will be coming up 
all over the place here shortly. That some, I've got at least one or two leagues where they're ready to fire that bad boy up now. We have a caller. Area code 804, you're on the air. Hello? Just calling to uh, listen. Oh, it got dropped. Uh, uh, I think I recognize that voice, but uh, I guess I would need to hear a couple more words to make sure. But that kind of sounded like our old boy Walton. No, I don't. I didn't recognize the number. I don't know if they hung up or if the system dropped them or if if you got dropped the caller. I apologize. Dynasty rookie drafts is what I'm getting to. Tis of the season for dynasty owners to add this year's first-year players to their squads. You know, maybe you have a team that did not fare so well and you're picking number one. Maybe you have a team that won a championship and you're picking number 12. I have a couple. I have both ends of the spectrum. I have, I think, my worst dynasty team. I have the third pick. My best dynasty team, I won the championship this past year. So. Regardless, there should be something for everyone in this year's class. It was, from a skill position standpoint, it was a fairly deep class, you know, deeper at running back and tight end, maybe wide receiver. And the, the quarterbacks, you know, no one's doing cartwheels over this year's quarterbacks, but the quarterback position also has increased value in dynasty formats because once you need one trying to – once you need one, trying to get one, if you don't have one, can be much like the NFL now. It's much easier said than done. So recently at Fantasy Sharks, I uh, unveiled my top 50 Dynasty rookies for 2017, including IDPs, of course. We're going to go down through that list this evening, talk a little bit about each guy. I will ask the esteemed Mr. Lasky if that player is ranked too high or too low. Or maybe it's Cody Locks, and this is just right. Kick it off at number one, the 1.1. That pick that everyone wants to know. Obviously, last year, the 1.1 was a no-brainer. The no-brainerest no-brainer that ever brained. I don't, if there was a rookie draft where Ezekiel Elliott was not the number one pick, I would like to see it. If for no other reason than I could laugh at that person because Elliott went on to lead the NFL in rest. My number one this year is Leonard Fournette. Jacksonville Jaguars. He's not necessarily the slam dunk. I mean, I think arguments can be made for a couple of other guys at 1.1, but he's a guy, he's going to be a bell cow running. They did not draft him fourth overall to put him in there behind Chris Ivory and TJ Yeldon. The biggest thing with Fournette is going to be that revamped Jacksonville offensive line. You know, are they going to be able to get a decent level of play out of guys like Brandon Albert and Cam Robinson, their rookie second-round pick. If that line plays better, I mean, you look at the talent that Jacksonville has in theory on offense, you know, Fournette should be able to do some damage off the get. Mr. Lasky, too high, too low, just right. Well, and I am in agreement with you as far as the argument. There's a big argument at the number one spot. Uh, I was going to preface it by saying that I can go – Either way, based upon whoever's drafting and what they have for needs according to their roster, Um, if you're strong at running back, I can see going one way. If you're strong at wide receiver, I can see going another way. 
um, more or less you're talking a one and one A. Um, I actually think the number one pick should be Corey Davis because of what they've already got going in Tennessee. They've already That's got a promising number two. Young, uh, right, and they've got a promising number one quarterback in Marcus Mariota, who not only can run the ball but throw the ball very well. They've got a great offensive line. They've got a nice tight end. They've got a couple of good running backs. They've got the pieces around him, so the, the defense cannot focus just on him. They've got to focus on everything, and that gives Corey Davis the edge, in my opinion, as far as the number one overall pick in a dynasty. Davis is my two. I can certainly see, like you said, if you have a need at wide receiver going that direction, you know. The Titans have built. The Titans did a nice little overhaul of their receivers. So they added uh, a second rookie, and I believe it was Taiwan Taylor. Quietly picked up Harry Douglas in the off season. They had holdovers like Rashard Matthews and Tajay Sharp. I, and Davis should, in theory, be the number one guy right off the get. Now that doesn't mean necessarily that I expect him to become Marcus Mariota's number one target right off the get, if only because Mariota and Delaney Walker have kind of a thing going. Walker is Mariota's safety valve. But I think Davis could, I don't think it's inconceivable to say that he could have wide receiver three value right out of the gate. And I think a wide receiver two finish is certainly within the realm of reason if he acclimates to the NFL well and him and Mariota get to clicking early. Now, I will also... Well, I will also I will also say this though: if you're in a uh, a redraft every year type of league, I do think Fournette is the number one pick. But to preface it, we are talking about a dynasty format, so that's why in Davis is my number one in dynasty. If you're in a redraft, Fournette is my number one. Okay, Davis is two, my number three, and here's where things muddy up a little bit, in my opinion. I think there's a fairly clear-cut top two in Fournette and Davis in whatever order you would like to pick them. Then things get a little more confusing. At three, I went with Dalvin Cook. No, he's a second-round pick. I know your beloved Minnesota Vikings obtained Latavius Murray in free agency, but I think it shows you the overwhelming confidence that they have in Latavius Murray that they drafted Dalvin Cook in the second round. I expect Dalvin Cook to be the lead tailback for the Minnesota Vikings, if not opening day by midseason. It's actually funny you said that because uh, at work this morning, uh, one of my uh, vendor merchandisers came in and he says, what do you think about draft? What do you think of to be honest, I think Cook could be the number one running back when all is said and done uh, when we look back at this draft class. I am in agreement with Cook being this high. Um, I'm even questioning if maybe I should have him ahead of Fournette when all is said and done uh, because of his multifaceted game. He's a tremendous pass catcher. Um, his speed is off the charts. Uh, he's great in open spaces, and I think the Vikings can utilize that. Uh, I I was questioning for him even had Fournette in this case, but I did not. But yes, we are in agreement that Cook is number three. 
The four spot, I have Christian McCaffrey of Carolina Panthers, and I even wrote in the article, I freely admit, I might be selling him short a little bit there. Christian McCaffrey is very talented, highly versatile. I'm sure the Panthers, you know, they did not spend a top ten pick on this young man to not make use of him. And I think the key for them is going to be finding ways to best make use of him. Similar, it's, it's the same thing with Curtis Samuel. I just I kind of wonder, especially in the early going, and I'm kind of greedy. I know Dynasty Leagues are supposed to be planning for guys to contribute in the future, but I want my guy to contribute a little bit now, too. And I just I wonder about consistent touches with McCaffrey, especially so long as Jonathan Stewart's still in town, which probably ain't going to be for that long. But it, it seems like, especially in the ground game and the short passing game, there might be a lot of mouths to feed there. I may be lowballing him, and I believe he's a top-five rookie pick, but I'm not quite as hype about McCaffrey as I am about the guys in front. Well, and actually, I'm in total agreement with you. Uh, in the shows leading up to the draft, I had talked about McCaffrey and how I was kind of skeptical because of his size and his usage the past couple of years in college has been tremendous. Uh, I loved the guy in college, one of the all-time greats in college as far as I'm concerned, but the amount of usage he's got and his size scares me at the next level. Uh, I am also very concerned about him. In fact, I actually have somebody else ahead of him uh, I have McCaffrey in, in the top five also, but I actually have one player ahead of him, and I'm guessing he's probably next on your list, uh, and that's next uh, for, well, for the Bengals. Um, no, actually, he's one slot below, below the next player on my list. My number five is Mike Williams of the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, I think Williams was arguably the most pro-ready receiver this class. I understand the Chargers have Keenan Allen, and obviously Allen and Phillip Rivers have a little bit of a thing. Allen has also had a lot of trouble staying healthy. I mean, if everything comes together, I was looking at the – I was going through and doing an article at Bleach Report where I was doing projected starting lineups for every team in the AFC. And going down through that Chargers lineup, if that offensive line can stay healthy, don't sleep on the San Diego – the Los Angeles Chargers, I'm sorry, in – the American League West. I'm just saying. No, the American League. No, no, I, I'm watching baseball. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, I got you. In fact, uh, I uh, have seen more than one uh, predict that they will lead the NFL in scoring this year. Uh, that is a very potent offense, and I, I like the scheme. I, I like the fit, but in long term, I'm a little bit more worried about him, and that's why I've got Williams at six. So we're a little flip-flop there. I've got Williams just a little below, but I'm concerned also with the fact that, okay, uh, do they switch to more of a running game because of Melvin Gordon? They're going to lose Antonio Gates. Keenan Allen, again, you don't ever know. I could see them maybe switching to more of a of a running game. Again, you don't know with Phillip Rivers how long he's going to stay there. They there were rumors that they were going to draft a quarterback high this year. They didn't, but Rivers is not going to be there forever. He's going to be leaving very soon, and what happens with the passing game once Rivers leaves? So with I'm all that, you, that's why. I'm guessing you probably got at least two more seasons out of Phillip Rivers, and I don't think it's impossible to think that uh, you could get three. And for me, see, I don't. 
I'll freely admit that I know a lot of people dynasty, they like to look at like a three-year window. I usually have a hard time looking more than two seasons down the road, even on the offensive side of the ball, if only because so much changes in the NFL from year to year. I mean, things that you could not possibly have foreseen can just completely flip a roster inside out. So, But I understand what you're saying. The number six guy, my number six, your number five, Joe Mixon, Cincinnati Bengals. This is another guy who become the lead tailback for his team in short order. I understand there are some people that find the idea of having Mixon on their fantasy team at all to be rather distasteful given what happened at the University of Oklahoma. That's fine. If you don't want to draft him, don't draft him. I just, I'm also not going to get on anybody's case if they do want to draft him. He's eligible to play in the National Football League. To me, that's all that really matters. And you look at his skill set, you look at the running back situation in Cincinnati with Jeremy Hill, who has had some struggles and had problems holding on to the football. You look at Gio Bernard coming back off a serious injury. I do think if Bernard comes back healthy, there will be work for Gio Bernard in that backfield. They're still going to want him out there on third downs because in addition to being an excellent pass catching back, Gio, for no bigger than he is, is a pretty good blitz protector. So I don't know how well Mixon will necessarily take to that role. But Mixon's a guy who he could be the top running back of this class by the time it's all said and done. It's not that huge a stretch to say that. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, he's got all the tools necessary. Again, it was his off the field that uh, caused him to drop. And uh, a lot lot of people thought he was the best in this class, uh, not considering the outside effects uh, that his life caused him to drop. But, uh, yeah, he's got all the tools necessary to play in the NFL and to succeed. Uh, Jeremy Hill seemed to lose steam at the end of the year. Of course, we all remember the fumble that uh, cost them a game a couple years ago in the playoffs against the Steelers. Uh, well, I, I think uh, – go ahead. Fair. That, that fumble alone did not cost them that game. They had overcome the fumble because – Burfecht turned around and intercepted a pass like 15 seconds later. Then the Bengals had that meltdown with Burfecht and Pac-Man both racking up 15-yard penalties back-to-back, and you could make the argument that's what cost him. He did have a late fumble, though, to be fair. No, no, you're you're absolutely right, but who knows how the game would have gone had he not fumbled, you know. One thing can lead to the next, you know, and that's the snowball effect of football, as we all know, especially in a playoff must-win-now situation. So, But as it were, it seems like Jeremy Hill seems to be falling out of air in Cincinnati, and so that's why I think Mixon should be up a little bit higher. My next guy is John Ross of the Cincinnati Bengals. I will freely admit it might not be a pick for the faint of heart. Ross's durability has become an issue. He had a meniscus tear in 2014 that wound up requiring microfracture surgery. ACL tear in 2015, coming off the shoulder surgery right now. But, boy, if he can stay healthy and you look at him opposite AJ, you want to talk about two receivers that can take the top off of defense. There are going to be some emotionally traumatized defensive backs in AFC North if everything comes together right for the Bengals. Well, you know, and, and to back you up, I actually have him one spot lower. I actually have somebody else different, and I think we just flip-flopped again. But in, in regards to Ross, uh, as in last year, we saw speed kills. 
and we saw a guy in Kansas City who dropped in the draft big time, but when he got to play in the NFL, we saw him succeed big time in Tyreek Hill. Speed kills. This guy's got it. Obviously, he's got it. The only concern, other concern I've got is the fact that they do have some good receivers on this team. And, I mean, you mentioned A.J. Green, but you've got a, a pretty decent tight end. You've got a good receiving running back out of the backfield with Gio Bernard. Uh, there's a lot of weapons in that offense. I just don't know how many passes he's going to see because there's so much talent on that offense. So I do have him one spot lower. I actually have O.J. Howard as the next that, that's spot. That's my next person. guy. And when's, yeah. when's the last time you had a tight end ranked that high in rookie rankings? I mean, that's high. You look at that Tampa Bay offense right now, and on paper anyway, especially Doug Martin once he goes to the principal's office and thinks about what he did. If he, I mean, you got Martin in the backfield, you've got Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans and the rookie whose name I'll get to here in a little bit who is escaping me, and then you've got Howard at the tight end. You've got a big-arm quarterback in Jameis Winston. Tampa's another team no, that it, don't sleep on them in the NFC South this year. Now, Cameron Bray came on current tight end or last year's tight end. Um, he played really well. Uh, and uh, you're talking about Chris Godwin. From Penn State, as there you go. With, uh, One of my most uh, yeah. I thought they got great value with that pick. Yeah, so uh, I I love that pick. I think they may be changing more into a passing game because of the Doug Martin situation to start off the year. He's going to be on the bench for a while. I think they start off the gate, start out of the gate throwing a lot. So uh, again, we flip flop because I've got Howard a little bit higher because of that start out of the gate. He may get a few more passes and he's a huge target in the end zone. Uh, I think they're going to find ways to use him. Yeah, it don't it don't seem like we're varying from one another a whole heck of a lot. You know, a guy here and a guy there. My number nine guy after O.J. Howard is a guy who we drafted a little bit later in the draft than most of these other guys, but much like a successful restaurant his ranking is all about location, location, location. The second Oklahoma running back, Samaj Perrine of the Washington Redskins, who you look at that Washington backfield, this, this kid could be starting week one for the Redskins, and I think he was one of the more underrated tailbacks in this class. I think he's going to surprise. He was outshined. He doesn't have Mixon's explosiveness, but this is the kid who it isn't Joe Mixon that owns the NCAA single game rushing record. It's Perrine. No, you're you're absolutely right. And actually, again, we are one pick apart. Uh, I have him as my number ten uh, pick. Uh, again, he's got all the tools necessary. The Redskins seems to be uh, uh, willing to change their running backs. Uh, they haven't been seem to be very satisfied with what they've had the past several years. Even though they've had guys who have performed decently, they're still looking for more, whether it's because the guy fumbles a lot or doesn't catch the ball on the backfield so well. Uh, I think this was a nice pick for the Redskins. However, I do have one guy slotted higher than him as far as longevity or dynasty purposes. And 
as we know, Eli Manning has always found a way to use his tight ends. Even when he, they haven't had a great tight end, he still will use them. I've got Evan Ingram at, at number nine as far as dynasty picks. And, yes, that's a second tight end within the top ten. I know it's kind of odd, but he's a guy that's always on the line. He's more of a spread tight end. He's going to be standing up. He's going to be spread out a little bit wider. He's more of that receiving tight end, not a blocking tight end. And Eli Manning has always loved his big tight ends in the middle of the field. I think Ingram's got a nice future with the Giants. I've got Ingram a little bit lower. I've got him at 13. I've got Zay Jones at 10. It's another guy where a lot of it to me is location. Not that Zay Jones isn't a talented young player. My goodness. Indians go up 2-0 in the top of the first, and Salazar comes out and gives up three runs without recording an out. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, I got Zay Jones at 10. I have Kareem Hunt of the Kansas City Chiefs. At 11, I'm rather enamored with Kareem Hunt's talent, and I know the Chiefs have Spencer Ware ahead of him. But given how early a pick they used on Kareem Hunt, it would appear they are not completely sold on Spencer Ware. You know, Hunt might not be. Once you get to about the eight hole, I think, the question of whether or not these guys are going to make an impact for you in 2017 becomes a little iffy. That's not to say some of these guys won't. It's just to say, you know, the top half a dozen guys or so, I think those are going to be guys that are going to work their way into lineups in fairly short order, some of them right off the get. Once you get toward the back of the first round, I think things get a little cloudier, although I would expect by year two, most of the players in the top 15 or so, we're going to be talking about as regular contributors. Well, yeah, and especially with, you know, going back to what you're saying, News is coming out daily about rumors of this or um, legal issues with that. Uh, I believe we just had uh, Robbie Anderson get uh, uh, into some certain uh, trouble, which may open up the door for Darius Stewart at the Jets, so that's one to keep an eye on. Um, I've also seen some rumors about a possible trade in which you had rumored that Philadelphia may be cutting Ryan Matthews And lo and behold, I see a rumor about a certain running back out of New Orleans that might be traded up to Philadelphia for a certain offensive lineman, which would seem to really help out the Saints in multiple ways, not only in pass protection for uh, Drew Brees, but also open up the door for um, Adrian Peterson and their drafted rookie uh, to help bring him up to speed uh, that's my so, twelve yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, Kamara. Yeah, that's that's one guy. Don't sleep on folks, especially if this trade happens. Do not sleep on him. He could be a huge, huge bonus for you guys on your roster. We've seen AP when he's healthy. He's a freak of nature. When he's not, he can crumble in a heartbeat. And Kamara could have a big low this year, especially if this trade happens. Well, I've seen reports like Adam Schefter poo-pooed the trade, and I, I, I'm i not saying it's going to happen, but I've also it wouldn't be the first time that they poo-pooed a trade and it happened anyway. I mentioned I had to do a surprise cuts article for Bleach Report, so I take one one guy from each team 
that would be a surprising cut. And I mentioned Mark Ingram for the Saints. Saints fans freaked out on social media. I was called all sorts of delightful things. And like a day later, Ingram starts getting mentioned in trade room. I'm sorry. I understand Mark Ingram run for 1,000 yards last year. The Saints know this too. And yet they went out and signed Adrian Peterson and traded up, dealt, I believe, a second-round pick in next year's draft to move up to take Kamara. So I don't make the rules, folks. I'm just saying it, it does not appear, and Ingram and Sean Payton have had their occasional little dust-ups in the past. So I just, what do you want me to do? It's not my fault. But I like Kamara. He's, if you're in a 12-team league, he would be my final pick of the first round, which if you're the reigning champion and you're coming out of that first round of your rookie draft with Alvin Kamara, yeah, you'll take that to the bank. Ingram is my 13. My 14, maybe I got a little bit of homer going on. It's possible. <laughs> Curtis Samuel, wide receiver for the Carolina Panthers, or wide receiver slash running back, or whatever he's going to be. I don't know if we're totally sure yet. I think we're going to see a lot of them in the slot. I just – I'll admit there's some risk involved because touches could be kind of come and go. But if they can figure out a way to use this young man correctly, he's going to do damage at the NFL level. So – if I was picking the front half of that second round, I see. I wonder if positional eligibility is going to be a little bit of a bugaboo with him too. I think they'll have wide receiver to start, but I you hate to have one of them guys where mid-season it gets changed. Well, you know, it, it's also he, he's Go he's got an opening he's got an opening there because they have got Kelvin Benjamin locked in on one side, but at the other side, I mean, Ted Ginn is gone. Uh, Dem Funches really has not worked out. Uh, he's got the size. He's got a huge wingspan, but he just hasn't worked out. He shows potential every once in a while, but then you see games where it's like, ugh. So Samuel's got a lot of potential, and as we've all seen, one of the biggest weaknesses of Cam Newton is throwing that long ball, but Samuel I don't think is made for the long ball. I think he's one of those guys that you get open on a quick slot or slant, pattern and throw a short quick pass to him and let him do his damage there, I think that's where he's most effective and he could be very, very good in that aspect. I mean, I will admit that I was a little surprised to see them go McCaffrey in round one and then come back and draft a kid with a somewhat similar skill set in Samuel in round two, but obviously they've got something. You know, you don't spend your first two picks in an NFL draft on two guys like that unless you have something in mind for those young men. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what the master plan of the Carolina coaching staff is. My number 15 rookie is my first defensive player on the list. And it is not the guy that I thought was going to be the top rookie defender for most of the offseason, but as we approached the draft and then once the draft itself happened and we saw who landed where, my top rookie IDP in 2017 is Jared Davis, inside linebacker for the Detroit Lions. All indications from the Motor City are he will start in the middle for the Lions from day one, which means he's going to play in sub packages. I think he's probably got Decent, uh, excellent shot at being an LB3, which is your third weekly starter in most leagues, right off the bat, and I think his upside is quite a bit 
higher than that. The biggest question mark with him is going to be can he stay healthy? He has some durability concerns in Gainesville. Uh, I agree that he's a uh, a top defensive player. I don't know if he's the top. Uh, I actually think Reuben Foster might be the top player for the 49ers. Uh, I, he's a tremendous inside linebacker, and the 49ers, as we've seen in their past several, go back 10 years, they utilize their inside linebackers extremely well. And those inside linebackers accumulate a ton of fantasy points. I think Foster there are two, fits in that mold. Go ahead. Two reservations. I mean, I've got Foster. I think he he checks in 21 for me, so not too far behind David. I have two reservations with Reuben Foster. One is the shoulder that, depending on who you ask, is either so bad you got to drop him off the boards altogether or no big deal is what the 49ers are saying. The second is that if you look at the 49ers depth chart right now, you got Navarro Bowman, who full participant in the first round of workouts this year, one of the best inside linebackers in football. And you got Malcolm Smith, free agent acquisition that the car, the 49ers frankly overpaid for. I mean, if you want to get down to brass tacks. Then you have Foster, and they're switching to a 4-3. I mean, I'd feel better if they were playing, still playing the 3-4 because then there would be that second inside linebacker spot that you could slot him in next to Bowman. He could learn to play next to Bowman all right with the universe. And wonder about snaps in the early going for Foster, especially if they're worried about the shoulder and want to bring him along slowly. And my future window with IDPs is that much smaller than on offense. I just don't look that far ahead with them because there's just – the amount of stuff that can change from year to year is just that much greater. It's not a matter of talent with Foster. And if he turns out to be 100% healthy and once he gets into the lineup, I think you're absolutely right. He could be that guy. I just – Davis just kind of edged past him with the situation and the shoulder thing. I don't know, maybe I'm a little twitchy. Number 16, my first Cleveland Brown, and it's not the number one overall pick. I went with tight ends, so I've, I've got three tight ends in the top 16. David Njoku, I mean, obviously the Browns, I don't think plan to ease him in, given that they cut Gary Barnage the next day. So I don't know that he necessarily has the ceiling of an Ingram or a Howard off the get, but I do think he's going to get some looks. I think he's a guy – as a rookie, that could be, you know, your bye week tight end, maybe a guy who could might work his way in as a spot starter once in a while. And, you know, much like Howard Ingram, he's that big, lanky, field-stretching kid that's all the rage that all the kids want for Christmas this year. Okay, well, actually, I went with the other Brown, the one that you mentioned, Miles Garrett, the number one overall pick. Uh, and it it's close, but uh, Garrett's going to play a lot right out of the bat. And not that and Joker won't, but I am more afraid of his looks right out of the gate because they do have some talent at the wide receiver and running back positions, uh, and they don't really seem to have talent so much at the quarterback position. And so I, I get a little bit more towards They've got some nice wide receivers. Uh, they've got a couple running backs that are okay, uh, but I think they're going to try and run a ball to slow down the game and that's going to cause to be much more fresh when he's on the field and I think he will then be allowed to create more havoc and cause more pressure and get some more of those plays made 
that they drafted him number one for in the first place. Garrett's the next guy on my list. Uh, the only thing I would advise folks there is that, granted, Joey Bosa had ten and a half sacks last year as a rookie for the San Diego Chargers. This does not happen very often. A lot of times, even really good rookie edge rushers struggle early in their careers. And unless Emmanuel Agba is able to show, I mean, he showed something as a rookie, but he's going to have to show that much more in year two, or else teams are just going to double Garrett all game long most of the time. So just kind of temper your expectations. I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have a problem in a redraft league maybe taking Garrett as a second defensive lineman if you're kind of drafting toward the back end of that DL2 group because once you reach that spot in the rankings, frankly, all the guys have some sort of question mark, So, and they're certainly upside there. I am just personally glad as a Browns fan that they did not screw up the first overall pick and did the right thing for once. It was very – it was refreshing. It was new. I can't say I'm used to it. My 18th guy behind Garrett. My 18th guy behind Garrett is the 18th young wide receiver of the Steelers that seem to have drafted in the last three or four years. Juju Schuster of the University of Southern California. Yeah, I think he could carve out some slot snaps fairly soon. And yeah, I think it shows. Given the pick that the Steelers were willing to spend to get him, I think it shows kind of their lack of, I don't want to say faith, because they have some, but their lack of confidence in the in the long-term prospects of guys like Sammy Coates and Mark Davis. With Brian, I think it's more him being a chucklehead than confidence in his ability, whereas with Sammy Coates, it's one week Sammy Coates looks like a world beater, and the next week he's just, mm-hmm. so... I I don't know if Schuster is going to be a guy that's going to be in your starting lineup in year one. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a couple of good games here and there. But I do think he's a guy that the Steelers looked at as someone who can play a significant role for the team in the not-too-distant future. Well, no, and actually I agree with you. As we talked about on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, I'm a big USC fan. I've seen a lot of his games. I've seen him make plays all over the field. I do think he will end up being the number two, maybe not uh, starting off the year. Maybe by the end of this year, he's the number two. But long-term, yes, you have to love his potential. He's got great hands. He seems to have great knowledge for the game. He always seems to get open. Yes, I love this guy. Um, Obviously, he won't be the number one with Antonio Brown right there in town. And uh, they've got the offense to spread the ball out to keep everybody happy. they got a great running back in Le'Veon Bell, as we all know. Uh, yes, I love uh, Schuster long-term. My number 19 is my highest-ranked quarterback on the board. And as rookie quarterbacks go, if you're looking for one who has any chance, barring disaster, of making a dent in fantasy in 2017, got to be Deshaun Watson in Houston. I mean, I think – I know that the uh, Texans are talking a lot of junk about their confidence in Tom Savage and that he's going to be the week one starter and so on and so forth, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they have so much confidence in Tom Savage that they traded two first-round picks to move up to number 12 to take Deshaun Watson. And Tom Savage has started two NFL games. The next 
touchdown pass he throws in an NFL game that counts will be the first touchdown pass he's thrown in an NFL game that counts. So it's not like there's some huge gap between Watson and Savage. The only thing that's keeping Savage ahead in this race right now is O'Brien's system is kind of complicated, and he knows it better. But if Watson can pick that system up with quickly, I don't know that it's going to take him long. If he isn't starting in week one, which I think he will be, he's going to be starting by probably the middle of October. The Texans, I mean, they did this for a reason. They, they're they not looking to the future like the Kansas City Chiefs. They want to win right now. They feel like they can make not only make it to the playoffs, but make a deep run in the playoffs if they can get better quarterback play now. So I won't lie, I was a little disappointed that the Browns didn't just pull the trigger on Deshaun Watson at 12, but I get why they didn't. They got an extra first-round pick. They were able to come back and get Deshaun Kaiser in the second round. So I'm not complaining much, but I I don't know. The Texans paid a lot to get him, but I think they're going to be glad to have Deshaun Watson on the team. Well, you know, I've seen a lot of guys actually picking that Watson is going to be the offensive rookie of the year. Uh, and you're right. There are some tools there that he can work with. He's got Lamar Miller in the backfield. Uh, he's got Hopkins. He's got Will Fuller. Uh, they like Braxton Miller when he's healthy. Federitz uh, is a nice option at tight end. So he's got some tools there to work with. Um, and I expect that with that defense, that number one defense that uh, you're referring to, that they're going to give him the option to play on the field quite a bit because that defense is going to keep them in games. He's going to get experience. I, I see this team winning that division again, though I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. I think Tennessee is knocking on their door. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Tennessee wins that division actually this year. And Indianapolis is coming up big time. They've made some nice moves on uh, defense. But I like uh, this call for your number one quarterback, uh, I like Watson. As you said, I thought he was going to go to Cleveland, but I think he's the top quarterback this year, and he very well could be the offensive rookie of the year because I don't see a number one and one A like what we had last year with the duo from the Cowboys. I think the field is much more open. I think it's much closer uh, going into the season than what we thought. <clears throat> well, and if he winds up starting 16 games or close to it, I mean, you look – Ezekiel Elliott leads the NFL in rushing as a rookie and doesn't win Offensive Rookie of the Year because of Dak Prescott. It's a quarterback's world, and the rest of us are both living in it. So if there's a quarterback who is in any way qualified to win that award, they're going to give it to the quarterback. That's just how it is. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it is. My 20th rookie is someone we mentioned a little ways back, Chris Godwin of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, from an NFL perspective, I love this pick for Tampa. Great value. It's going to be a fine third receiver for the team. My only question from a fantasy perspective, there's an awful lot of mouths to feed in Tampa Bay also. Well, no, I actually, uh, I have agreement on this one also. I uh, think he's going to be a nice replacement for Deshaun Jackson. I see Deshaun staying there two years, but I think after that he's probably done. I think that's a nice time for Chris to, to groom into the offense. 
work out a role maybe in the slot and then move over uh, to be a spread-out wide receiver. But, yes, I, I loved Penn State. There were a lot of comparisons with him, uh, with Allen Robinson, who we've seen have a pretty decent start to his career in Jacksonville. Uh, I'm hoping for the best for this guy. Uh, again, he had a great uh, game against USC in the Rose Bowl. Uh, I have high hopes for this guy. Okay, my 21st rookie, I have Ruben Foster. We already discussed him. My 22nd rookie, I have Carlos Henderson of the Denver Broncos. Obviously, the key for him is going to be, I once again, you've got two established starters in those first two spots in Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas, although I think Sanders' contract might be up, like not after this year, but I think after 2018, so that might open the door. And the Broncos have really been looking for a third wide receiver to supplement those two guys for the past several years and just haven't, you know, that Cody Latimer never really became that guy. And he was a guy that I liked a lot coming out of the University of Indiana. He just hasn't seemed to be able to put it all together. So I, I like Carlos Henderson. I want to get through my, your feelings on my number 23 rookie. We saw the Green Bay Packers hit that running back position. They, how many? They drafted like 11 running backs in the <laughs> NFL draft this year. And as my 23rd ranked rookie, I have Jamal Williams. I, I like Jamal Williams quite a bit. Um, you know, I'm sitting there because he's a rival, and I'm talking with my boss quite a bit, who's a Packer fan, and I've been a Lambo several times. Obviously, he has. Uh, Ty Montgomery is not a natural running back. Ru- uh, Randall Cobb has been kind of injured a little bit, beaten up the past couple years. Uh, and I can actually see a little bit of that happening to Ty Montgomery as well. Or if Randall Cobb continues to get beaten up, if maybe they move Ty Montgomery out to Randall Cobb's position and thus opening up the tailback position to Williams. I like, as a late sleeper pick, I love Williams. People, listen to me now. I love Williams as a late sleeper pick. Uh, he could very well carry your team to a championship if everything falls out down right. He could very well be the guy that gives you your ch- championship this year. He loves Williams as a late sleeper pick. Listen to him, people. 24th, I got Taiwan Taylor, who was the second rookie wide receiver that the Tennessee Titans took. Talented young kid out of Western Kentucky. Once again, may take him a little while to kind of carve out a role on that Tennessee depth chart, which is now looking much more robust at the wide receiver position than it was before the 2017 NFL draft. Number 25, I have another defensive player. <clears throat> and if you're talking strictly, from a 2017 impact standpoint, New York Jets, strong safety, Jamal Adams, could be the highest-scoring rookie IDP in this season. Would not surprise me a bit. He's got top 10 defensive back upside right out of the gate. We saw Landon Collins in his second NFL season this past year not only finishes the highest-scoring defensive back, but finishes the highest-scoring defensive player, period. I think Adams has similar upside. And he's got kind of a similar situation, too, in that the linebackers playing in front of him, Darren Lee and David Harris's corpse, are not great. So I think there's going to be a ton of tackle opportunities there. The only reason I've got him at 25th is just defensive backs are a dime a dozen, and I just, I just cannot bring myself to spend 
real draft capital on a position that I can fill later. Uh, well, I, I, again, I agree with you. He's got all the talent in the world. I actually thought he was going to go number three overall in the draft. Uh, but we all know that Chicago kind of uh, surprised the world with their trade to move up to get Trubisky and shock everybody downward below them and caused havoc. Uh, I love Jamal Adams. I love his talent. But I'm so scared of the entire Jets team this year. Uh, they don't have a quarterback. Oh, I'm, hearing that, uh, I'm hearing rumors that they're even going to make it back. I've heard Eric Trebach, uh All of a sudden, Robbie Anderson's in trouble. That whole team just scares me to death. And uh, I don't see myself taking any jet in any format. I mean, I'm sorry, Jamal Adams. I love you, but I just can't see myself taking a jet this year at all. Oh, no, you want the defensive guys if the team's going to be horrible because that – well, maybe not – well, I, Leonard Williams is just an animal on the defensive line, so I'm not going to hate on him. And those, But the linebackers and Adams, those guys are going to be on the field all day long. There's going to be tackle opportunities galore. Oh, I'm, if I can get Darren Lee a little bit later, Josh, David Harris scares me a little bit because he's 53 years old or some ridiculous number, so – and I like Muhammad Wilkerson this year only because he had such a bad year last year that a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth about Momo. So there, he's dropping in drafts significantly, and I don't necessarily expect Mo Wilkerson to have that kind of year two seasons in a row. So he's a guy I think you get value on. You're not, I'm not going to argue with you on offense. I can't imagine why you would want to draft a Jets player unless Bilal Powell just plummets. Because there's rumors he's going to be their lead back. And in a PPR, you know they're going to be playing catch-up all day, so he's going to catch, you know, six, seven little dump-offs a game from a terrified Christian Suckenberg. It's going to be a great year for the <laughs> J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Next up, I got yeah, a Westbrook uh, of the Jacksonville Jaguar. I don't know. Westbrook, to me, is an enigma. I mean, he's a Blitnikoff Award winner, racked up all kind of numbers in college. I know he's a little guy, but that doesn't really scare me as much as the fact that he's chucklehead. So it's going to be a matter of can he stay in. Not that Jacksonville's ever had a chucklehead wide receiver, Justin Blackman, because that's never happened. Oh, boy. <laughs> you, mentioned the, you mentioned the next guy on my list, and actually given what's happened in just you know the less than a week since I've written this article, I would probably bump our Darius Stewart up a couple spots, at the very least ahead of Westbrook. Because, like you said, he's a guy that, I mean, he could be thrust into a significant role quickly. Very quickly, yeah. Uh, again, there's still rumors that they're also going to maybe unload Decker. All of a sudden, he could be the number one de facto. They've already let go of Devin Smith. He's gone. And he's a guy that I had high hopes for coming out of Ohio State, another one of your guys. The Jets just don't seem to be happy with any of their wide receivers, present or past. They just want to get rid of them all. So, I think that the Jets front office and coach staff just try and get fired because they don't want to be there any more than any longer than absolutely <laughs> necessary. My 28th ranked rookie, my second quarterback off the board, is not the first quarterback that was drafted this year because I'm not really feeling the whole Trubisky thing. I went with Deshaun Kaiser at Cleveland. I mean, he's not going to make an impact this year. 
And maybe it's just me being the eternal optimist that maybe the Browns finally have a quarterback, even if he is going to be a project. But the physical tools are there with Kaiser, and Hugh Jackson does have a track record of developing quarterbacks. Uh, you're right. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a project. You know, I've said it before. There are the tools there as far as decent wide receivers. They've got a new tight end now to play with. They've got a couple nice running backs. They've got one of the best offensive linemen in football and Joe Thomas. So there's some bits and pieces there. But I think Kaiser's a work that's got to be – he's going to take more than a year. He's going to take a few years before he's ready. Uh, I think he could have a very tough start to his career. When all is said is done, maybe he can be that guy. Um, I've got him a little bit lower in my rankings. But, uh, uh, you know, this is all you – know, this is all fun and talk right now. Um, I'm actually a little bit higher on Marlon Mack, uh, and I think he's got an opportunity because Frank Gore, God bless him, he's a warrior. He plays every damn game every year. He's, but he's getting up there in age, folks. Yeah, yes. He's getting he up there in age. He gets 10% and I, off of Denny's. <laughs> uh, I think Mack is going to get a, a chance to play this year. Uh, and so I got Mac rated a little bit higher and Kaiser a little bit lower, but uh, who knows? That's why we all talk. That's why we all speculate. That's why this is all fun and games. Between Kaiser and Mac, I have another IDP, Hassan Reddick at Arizona Cardinals. Going to be interesting. Going to be interested to see what they kind of have planned for Reddick. I think he's eventually going to work into an every-down role as an inside linebacker. I just don't know that it's going to happen right away. They've got a couple fairly entrenched guys in Dayo Buchanan, and they just re-signed Carlos Dansby. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe the early going we won't see Reddick come on the field in nickel to replace Dansby. And then as he gets acclimated, you know, as the, he's the heir apparent to Dansby. Love Hassan Reddick as a player. I think he's going to be a fine addition to a stout Arizona defense. But Carlos Dansby, for being 57 years old, he's another guy that's just hard to bump out of the lineup. He just keeps going out there and balling. Coming up behind Mac, the running back with it. Well, one of the running backs with a touching story in this year's draft. Dante Foreman, in Texans. Obviously, he's in there behind Lamar Miller. I think he'll be able to carve out an early role, a little bit of a change of pace, maybe some short yardage duty. And I guess how you feel about his future is just are you completely sold on Lamar Miller as a feature back? Plus, Miller's what, 27? But he's a young 27 because he didn't have a lot of uses early in his career. I don't care. Once you turn 28, you're dead to me. Okay. After him, I got a couple of IDPs and Zach Cunningham with the Houston Texans. He's in a very similar uh, situation to Reddick. I think we'll see Cunningham initially maybe come in in sub-packages next to Bernard McKinney to replace Brian Cushing, who is a big liability in coverage. And then we'll see Cunningham kind of eat into Cushing snaps as the season progresses. Brian Cushing's just not so, – I mean, I don't know that he was ever the player that his name kind of made people think he was. He had, like, one big year. But his knees are just shot. After him, I got Derek Barnett in Philadelphia. It's the same story. 
talent is not a problem. The wide nine defensive scheme of the Eagles should suit him well. There's Brandon Graham is obviously Brandon Graham's obviously going to play full time. You've got Vinny Curry in Philadelphia. You've got Chris Long in Philadelphia. You've got the learning curve that usually is associated with young edge rusher. I just think it might take Barnett a little bit of time to get his groove on. There's somebody I, I got to mention that I, I I'm a little bit surprised that you haven't uh, listed in your rankings right now. Um, Solomon Thomas I think should be given a little bit boost. Um, he may not be a 15 sack a year kind of guy, but I do think he's got that capability to tackle that running back behind the line of scrimmage for a loss, which also is points in IDP leagues. And I think that alone with that defense, I think that should give him a little bit of a boost up in your rankings. I think Solomon Thomas has got the speed to get that done. I think he's got the strength to, uh, get around the tackles and the speed to get around the tackles and create plays. I've got Thomas just slightly lower. And it's part of it is that I'm confused. I just, I don't, I need to see the 49ers in camp a little bit. I need to see, because this is the third year in a row that they spent their first round pick on a defensive end. Now, granted, when they drafted DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead, they drafted those guys to be three, four defensive ends. And now they're going to run the 4-3 under front. My question is who's going to slot where? I read that they're trying Buckner as a three-technique defensive tackle. That makes the question, Arm- is it going to be I- I Thomas Armstead- or Armstead at the Leo? I thought they had all, that Armstead had also played some linebacker in college. <sighs> Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought that he – I thought he'd that also played linebacker. An enormous linebacker. He might have played some three four outside line. See with them going to the four three though, and they don't need the linebacker. I think Armstead I think Buckner is going to play one is going to play the three technique tackle spot. And then Armstead's gonna play one end spot and Thomas is gonna play the other end spot. The question is which one of those guys is gonna be the Leo, that weak side end who lines up outside the line of scrimmage. It's it's there isn't a team in the NFL higher on my list of training camp try to find out what I can so far as defensive scheme than the San Francisco 49ers because so much has changed in there with them going to the 4-3. Yeah, there was some IDP news today that was a punch in the gut for fans. If you use my fantasy league as your fantasy provider, positional change designations came out. Aaron Donald is no longer classified as a tackle. He is now a defensive end. Which, oof, ouch. Well, if you're in a mixed league, it's not a big deal. Because, you know, a defensive lineman is a defensive lineman, and I don't know that shifting to the, I assume he's going to play the five technique end, but isn't a big hit to his value. But if you're in a defensive tackle required league, Oh, that's a blow. That's a big – and Robert Quinn was moved to linebacker too, which given the year he had last year, that's not as big a blow. But it's still – it's a pretty significant punch in the chops. Well, we burned through an hour. We managed to get through the first 30 or so of the rookies. That should give you a pretty good feel for the first couple rounds and change of your dynasty rookie drafts. Obviously, I would caution everyone – you know, I base this on a fairly standard PPR 
so on and so forth scoring system, the individual vagaries of the scoring system for your fantasy league will, of course, have a substantial impact. So you want to check your scoring and balance that when you're – and as Todd said at the beginning of the show, team needs is a huge factor as well. I mean, if you're going into the, the rookie draft and you feel like you're a receiver away from competing for a playoff spot, and then maybe you're going to want to reach for that receiver or try to trade back a couple spots. Or, you know, I'm a big fan of – I know Dynasty is supposed to be about planning for the future, but I want to win now. I've never once built a Dynasty roster where I said, okay, I'm going to be terrible this year, and I'll be kind of rotten next year. But, boy, come 2019, I'm going to kick some butt. That's just not how I roll. <laughs> Very well said. Uh, I'm a win now kind of guy also, so uh, I hear you. And, you know, I'm getting more and more uh, drama within my keeper league each year, especially now. I can only keep three guys, and with this news about the possible income trade, I could have Adrian Peterson and LaShawn McCoy at running back, and I've got Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback. And at wide receiver, I've got Antonio Brown. I've got Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, and Michael Thomas. I can only keep three. I don't think the Ingram trade is going to come to pass. That's, just, that's an awful lot for the Saints to give up for what would essentially be a part-time rental at center, especially if – I mean, unless they think Unger is hurt a lot worse than what I've been kind of informed. So, I, but it's certainly making the rounds. You never know what might happen. So, I reckon we will see. As always, Mr. Lasky, thank you for joining me this fine evening. The Indians have retaken the lead over the Toronto Blue Jays in the top of the third, four to three. I know everyone wanted to know that. So, that's why I told you. <laughs> we will be back soon with another episode of the Fantasy Football Feeding Frenzy. You know, we'll break down some more dynasty stuff and. Uh, before you know it, folks, it's going to be June. We're going to be getting into summer, and it's going to be time to start talking redrafts and breaking down sleepers and busts and rankings and all that good stuff because fantasy football has no off season. Good night, everybody. Mm-hmm.